Hey everyone, welcome to Neighbor Science, the only podcast about political economy and anime. I am Ryan Salisbury, and today we have from Kino Lefter, Abdul. Hello, hello. I'm very happy to be on Neighbor Science, by the way. You guys uh, absolutely rule. And uh, yeah, this is thanks, man. like a very medium stakes dream come true for me. So yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. And we also have uh, Cheech, a.k.a. Adam. <laughs> Big reveal right here on Neighbor Science. You heard it first. <laughs> breaking news. <laughs> I'm so today we are doing the fourth episode. I should have looked this up before I started, but the, I think it's the fourth uh, Mecha Madness episode. Uh, we're talking about one of now one of my favorite shows, Gunbuster, and also Diebuster. Not not quite his favorite uh, Diebuster, but Gunbuster, very good. Um, so, Cheech, I think you watch. Did you watch both? Yes, I watched yeah. them all the way through in two nights, and I loved every second of it. Nice. And and Abdul, you watched just Gunbuster? Yeah, I've I've succumbed to wage slavery in a big way, so <laughs> it's been mostly yeah. I watched Gunbuster in like two days, and I watched like a highlight reel of um, you know, anime music videos for Diebuster and stuff <laughs> nice. like that, just to try and get a sense of what it was. But uh, I it left me think like more confused uh, afterwards than if I hadn't watched it at all. I think. Yeah, well, it is a very confusing OVA. I think. Um, I definitely had to watch it twice to like really know what was going on at all. I mean, part of that was my fault because I was I was only half paying attention. I was I was doing the typical, you know, put on a, an anime and then try and post at the same time, even though it's subtitles. Oh, <laughs> that's impossible. Yeah, yeah. You know, weeps these days always on their phones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not paying enough attention to the subtitles. I, Just I'm convinced that I'll eventually learn Japanese by just listening to the audio and not reading the <laughs> subtitles <laughs> so far it's sort of working I, I i know some japanese now but it, it'll take a long time phrases. to get there <laughs> i definitely still need to like watch what's happening <laughs> i can't ask where a hospital is but i can say like shining kick force or something <laughs> i can at least say help <laughs> um yeah, like, it's, uh, you know, I spent some time in Japan just, like, you know, traveling there for vacation, visiting friends who were teaching nice. there and stuff like that. And, like, whenever a word comes up in an anime that I understand, I get so excited. Like, I turn to my <laughs> partner, I'm like, I, I know what that one meant because I, I refused to go to, like, I went to Japan, refused to learn any of the language for, like, a month and change. Um, big mistake, by the way. Don't do not do that. <laughs> Anyone who Great says that Great bit that, that Americans do. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, Gunbuster is a six-episode OVA from 1988, and it was Hideaki Anno, uh, who is the director of uh, Evangelion. It was his directorial debut. The series was inspired by Top Gun and follows the story of Noriko Takaya trying to follow in her father's footsteps as a space pilot and becoming the savior of humanity. And Diebuster was made in 2004 to commemorate Gainax's 20th anniversary. So it's a Gainax series. Uh, it has a early version of the Gainax ending, I would say. <laughs> Just like crazy stuff happening. Um, also, I, would, I, I think the last episode is very similar to what happened with the last episode of Evangelion uh, in that it appears that they ran out of budget and they compensated for it by doing a weird artsy episode. But anyway, let's let's start with episode one. 
So we start off with like a very 80s movie feel, right? It's, you know, it's like very distinctly like 80s cocaine music. There's workout montages, aerobics clothes, uh, guys with aviators. And and I think the the very first thing they show after the prologue is a really funny joke. It's uh, a bunch of giant robots jogging and doing sit-ups, push-ups, and human pyramids and, like, jumping rope. <laughs> I had to pause it because I could not stop laughing at that. The human pyramid of the fucking yeah. robots. It was so ri- – oh, my God. It's a great way to get you into the show because, like, from that moment on, like, I don't think I looked at my phone, like, once when I was watching it because I'm like, I have to see how this plays out. And I also didn't realize upon watching it, I think you even told me when we were talking about the show, this Hideaki Anno's first um, first series, but it didn't Uh click until much later on. I was like, hey, this feels a lot like Eva. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, halfway through, I looked it up. I'm like, oh, shit. No, that makes a whole lot of sense. But, yeah, that scene is is spectacular. That is, uh, yeah, it's great. So Noriko is the main character. She's uh, kind of a dunce. She's a really good athlete but has no aptitude for operating giant robots. And, unfortunately, in the society she lives in, your social status is entirely determined by your ability to operate a giant robot. Um, so she gets like bullied for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's also, uh, Kazumi Amano and, uh, she's like the, the star of the class, the, the idol. Um, she's really good at, uh, piloting giant robots. And so, um, Kazumi gives Noriko the advice that she needs to like really work hard at it. Like, you know, she was bad at piloting giant robots too at first, and then she trained really hard and got good at it, which is good advice. There was also this weird thing where, like, their encounter was like predicted by a horoscope. I don't know if there's oh, any yeah, the meaning to that. The horoscope thing or... through the whole show is just odd. Didn't they bring that back in Die Buster too with the twins? I don't remember that, but you might—you're probably right. Yeah, the weird like Virgo theme going on throughout it. Like, I mean. <sighs> One of the things I noticed, especially about this episode, is, like, it was really ahead of its time in terms of a lot of things. Like, I don't know if you got Starship Troopers vibe from the way he sets up the world and the society, and it's um, spectacular, but also predicted, uh, you know, this uh, wonderful, like, millennial uh, trope of uh, knowing that astrology is 100% real and infallible. (laughs) Like, she definitely had a co-star on her, um, you know, on her mech. Like, I don't know enough about astrology to pick up any of the, like, references that they make to it. So, this is honestly the only thing that I really noticed (laughs) about it. And, like, everything else obviously just flew over my head completely. (laughs) Okay, the the co-star heads, uh, it's like like the most popular astrology app. They will all know what I'm I'm talking about. Some of them may even chuckle. (laughs) (laughs) All four of them. (laughs) All the Warren supporters. Yeah. Uh, so, like, basically what happens with the episode is, you know, Noriko gets bullied and she gets the advice from Kazumi and um, Coach tries to help her in his, like, abusive piece of shit way. Um, and, like, Kazumi kind of comes to, uh, or goes, sorry, goes to Coach and, like, tries to talk him down from 
uh, picking her as as the candidate to go into space because she has no aptitude and she's afraid that she's going to get killed. So, like, you know, she'll tell her, like, oh, you need to work hard, but she doesn't really believe in her enough to think that she can actually do it, um, which I thought was an interesting way to set up the characters uh, who, like, later become very close friends. Um, was there anything else you guys had to say about this episode? Well, that was uh, like a re. Oh. No, no, you go ahead. Well, that was like a reoccurring theme with uh, uh, Noriko and Kazumi. You know, Kazumi yep. just like being nice up front, and then like not not trusting <laughs> in Noriko at all, and you know, uh-huh. breaking the partnership and all that. I think, like, it sets up a lot of really cool things that are capitalized um, on later on. You know what I mean? Like, especially mm-hmm. closer to the end of the series with Kazume. Um, in general, like, the world building in this episode, I, I just, again, I have to take it on for, like, a second here. It is spectacular. Like, the way it tells you sort of everything you need to know very quickly. The way it... Um, yeah, I like the stuff with the mechs and the training montages and all that stuff, the way it sets up the high school, even like the, uh, you know, the ephemeris, um, you know, villainous insectoid race. I'm really happy you don't really see them in the first episode or for a while. Like it holds the delay extremely long. Yeah, they long. wait until like episode three. Yeah. And even it episode three, tension, like you barely see them. It's just the corpse, right? Uh, yeah, you see a corpse, uh, a little bit, and then when they actually, like, get in a fight, all you see is, like, darkness, which is, I think, was a really great way to build tension. Um, it's also, like, I think, very, it's a very, like, Hideaki Anno opening, where it, it's showing you one world, um, but it's also not showing you how, like, weird and sort of dramatic it's gonna get, like, this is so lighthearted <laughs> compared to where the show ends up going and what it starts talking about. Yeah, everything looks like California, you know? Yeah. There's like palm trees and, you know, it's just sunny and like gold golden all the time. <laughs> I'm assuming that's what California's like. Half expecting a vaporwave soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, the Miami Nights, you know, and they, they almost get there with like the red and gold as the show goes on, like the, you know, that great like Japanese like 80s neon. Yeah. And that soundtrack, too. That intro song is one of the greatest anime it intro rolls. songs ever. It's yep. so 80s. Love it. Um, yep. And also, just, like, it's a good precursor to how horny Makoto... Uh, I was about to say Makoto Shinkai, fuck. Uh, how horny uh, Hideaki Anno gets. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, is this the first instance of the Gainax bounce? Um, probably. Um, is this... There are definitely articles a, about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, are there? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, he's just incredible. He's unbelievably horny, and this show, uh, like, you know, is I. It might be his horniest one. I don't know. Uh, Eva gets close. I haven't seen uh, a lot of the other stuff he's done, but um, yeah, it even just that opening, just you know, everyone walking around, the outfits, all that stuff. It's like, oh, this is like a good roadmap for where he's gonna go as a, as a creator <laughs> and as an artist. Okay, so episode two. You know, they actually get into space, right? They do have a mission in this. They introduce the time dilation stuff, which is, like, one of my favorite aspects of the series. I I think the ship designs in this are, like, very inspired by 2001 and Star Wars. 
like the space station looks like something out of 2001 and the Excelion from the bottom looks exactly like a star destroyer to me. Um, once you actually see its its full body, it looks different, but man, from the bottom, it was like, wow, this is, this is like a Star Wars shot. <laughs> it felt like a ripoff at first before you see the top, like when they're going yeah. towards it, I like had to double take. I'm like, is that a Star Destroyer? Like, did they just <laughs> run out of ideas? But no, the, the designs improve. I also think as the series goes on, like the, the designs of the ship and the way they present space travel and stuff is mm-hmm. fleshed out like so well as they sort of go through it. Yeah. Like the cool like hyper jumping and stuff like that. Yes, that was great. The um, actual times there in subspace is really cool too. Like the the way they you know had it all shimmery. It kind of reminded me of uh what was that Spaceballs? <laughs> all the lights. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and one of the other uh crazy things about this show because it's from the 80s, the Soviet Union still existed. So there's Soviet Mecca. Those were um, amazing. Just uh, and also calling the character Young Freud, yes, um, <laughs> is absolutely ridiculous. Like I love it. You know, it's just again, it's it's ridiculous and also like sort of throws you off in terms of where the show ends up being. But um, I think that's where it, you know, it it had me at robots doing pyramids, and then like you know, completely took me over at Young Freud. Um, <laughs> And also, like, you know, I'm sure there's some sort of thematic reason in there, but I still can't seem to find it. Like, I know it's probably well thought out, but I, I can't seem to figure out why, other than it sounded cool. Yes. <laughs> I think that might be what it is. Um, yeah, I haven't watched this as many times as I did Evangelion, so I, I haven't read that deep into it yet. But, there, yeah, I think you're right. There's probably some thematic reason for it. Um. So, yeah, uh, one of the major points of this is, um, as you said earlier, uh, they, they see a corpse of the alien. So they're, uh, young Freud, like, what is it? She challenges Noriko to, uh, no, it, like, was, it was, Ka- uh, uh, young challenges Kazumi to a okay. battle because she was like the top of her class and she like heard about her. Okay. And uh so they end up like sneaking into part of the ship where they see a corpse of the alien that they will eventually be fighting. Um and they're kind of terrified by that and coach yells at them for seeing it or for like, you know, being there where they're not supposed to be there. Um and so in the second half of the episode, uh, Noriko and Takumi are sent on a mission to investigate uh, some object they detected traveling at near light speed. And it turns out that it was the battleship that Noriko's father was on. Um, oh, we didn't we didn't explain that in the first episode. They call her the daughter of defeat because her dad was famously like an, an admiral who lost a battle against the space monsters. And so... Uh, on this mission, they are sent to find this battleship. Uh, what uh, they didn't realize what it was. <laughs> uh, they are sent to find this object, and it turns out to be the battleship her father was on. So, uh, she jumps onto the ship where only two days have passed uh, since the battle that uh, ended his life. 
because of time dilation and she rips the door open to the main bridge and there's like this crazy space anomaly in there and then uh coach jumps in to pull noriko out and bring her back to the ship and they are uh 12 seconds late getting back to the ship uh from the time that they were supposed to be which is over two weeks of earth time so uh they're really introducing you to like how much uh, time goes by when you're traveling, you know, at near light speed. And I think it'll be used to like really great effect later. Um, time dilation in general is just such an underutilized, um, like sci-fi trope because the implications mm-hmm. of it. And I think this show explores it spectacularly, <laughs> um, are like awfully frightening. Um, there's a great, like, I'm not a huge anime head. Uh, like I uh-huh. rarely watch it, but, there's, you know, the, a great, like, Makoto Shinkai um, short, like, OVA he did called uh, Voices from a Distant Star, which is, like, a love story between two people. And as one of them goes, like, deeper into space, the years start passing as, like, the messages become more and more infrequent. Wow. Um, and there's, like, it's, by the way, it's really good. Like, he, I'm pretty sure he did it all on his home computer. It was his first thing oh, he my ever God. did. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, but... You know, just what a great hook for, you know, uh, any story that involves, like, going into space. Um, Mm -hmm. And, like, yeah, this sets up... I like the way it escalates, because in this one it's just two weeks in episode two, right? And then, like, we see where it inevitably goes, which is... Yeah, I know the the ending of the series, I might be jumping ahead a little bit, is hypothetically triumphant. But it's also, like, the what comes next question is really scary. Yeah, and they... I mean, they keep basically like escalating the amount of time that goes by with each episode and it kind of amplifies the drama of the passage of time and also like the stuff where you know if if this is a show like fundamentally um i think it is like a show about someone who's dealing with crippling loneliness you know being part of an out group uh sort of being institutionalized into like a a literal military industrial complex right Mm-hmm. Um, and the way, you know, even the way the, the time dilation stuff separates her from her best friend and separates her from the people she loves down on earth and all that stuff. It's used to like really good thematic effect as well. Like it, it really hammers home this idea that she is just this extremely lonely character perpetually throughout the show. Yeah. I may or may not see myself uh in her in that way <laughs> definitely do like a hundred percent i do <laughs> yeah i mean it's like you know it would be bad enough just to be like so far away from people but then not only are you far away from them but their lives are going by much faster than yours which is like i will argue i, I don't want to like take off track from like the episode recaps but i will argue that we're seeing that in like a small way with the acceleration of like it's almost inverted in our day-to-day with how we experience information Mm -hmm. um whereas like you know if you're not online you're you're inevitably missing something you're missing the passage of time you're more acutely aware of how deeply you're missing the passage of time right you're more acutely aware of the way if you feel isolated and lonely the way that those who you'd consider close to you are like happily living their lives and going on without you right or if you move to a different place like you're way more aware of life going on without you and i think Mm -hmm. like i'm not gonna call the series prophetic but i think it taps into you know our current situation like our our sort of relationship to the you know posting um way better than uh it did even then 
Yeah, for sure. You guys might be able to answer this better than I would. Did like the other anime I'm watching right now, Slam Dunk, uh, from the okay. '90s. Um, did Japanese did did animation like take budget cut or something between the '80s and the '90s? Because this is like there are sequences that are like very clearly um, animated on ones. Like it's very smooth. It's like lavish in terms of how it how it builds out the. Uh, like sets and the backgrounds and the paintings and stuff like that. Um, but like you know, well, maybe Slam Dunk is just different budget or whatever. But it looks for something that came out later looks significantly choppier and like way less finessed and detailed than this. Uh, I mean, I think this show is really um, ahead of most other things in the okay. quality of animation. Part of it is because it's an OVA; it's only six episodes, so. Um, they can use their budget a lot better. But then there's also episode six where they clearly ran out. <laughs> um, I like and... that though. I love that. Like the yeah, it looks moving great. manga the kind of it. thing. I, like, I kind of hope that they did that on purpose. You know, they still had yeah. extra money and they just threw some in their pockets. And just like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there's also it? like, I think there's also like a period in the nineties uh, you can see it in Initial D where they're starting to use computer graphics, but it's very early, so it's very bad. Um, and I don't know. I, like I haven't seen CGI Slam Dunk, so I don't been... know if they use CGI at all, but that that could be part of it. Gotcha. I, I guess I was like trying to think if there's a way to tie it into the uh, like lost decade, right? Like the recession of the 1990s or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that played a role at all, but yeah, uh, it's... Like the visual flair of this is spectacular. I thought the end was actually intentional because why I we just watched Eva, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh-huh. And I thought I thought it was just something that Hideaki Anno does is just make his last episode look like a sketchbook. I guess <laughs> he, he did run out of budget. Yeah, the like the end of Evangelion movie is supposedly like what, how he planned to end the series originally. But he didn't have the budget for it, so he went with what he did in the last two episodes. Right. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, make him give him five episode OVAs and not six episode OVAs, <laughs> and everything will be will be fine. <laughs> yeah, he always overspends by one episode. Exactly <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, episode three, uh, Noriko is sent to a creepy part of the ship on a dare. And uh, she meets Garo, the character from One Punch Man, uh, who is in that series a villain, but really a hero, if you think about it. Um, And she seems to have a little crush on him. Um, They go on their first combat mission with robots, and they mostly just get owned. Uh, Noriko's too terrified to do anything, and the battle is, like I said earlier, it's just darkness. Uh, So it's basically just sound, which, uh, you know, visually not the most appealing thing, but um, in terms of the story, I think it builds tension really well because uh, we don't see what the aliens look like. Um, and Smith, uh, Garo, does not come back from the battle. And then Excelion warps out, so we never see him again. And I don't know about y'all, but the first time I watched that, I was like, oh, this guy is kind of cool. I kind of like him. And then <laughs> he doesn't come back from the battle. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this was the moment where I was just kind of really shook <laughs> after this episode. Because, like, you know, it starts off with, like, the cutesy robots doing pyramids and then uh, just veers into, I would argue that this episode, 
like it, the series was way darker than Evangelion. Like in terms of like the message and just like the 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 emphasis and the uh, you know how how things happen. Because rather right. than like seeing Smith get torn to pieces where you get closure, it's just he's just gone. He's, yeah, they don't know what happened like to him. He, he could be floating maybe around. Maybe he did survive, but he's out in the middle of space now. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, I. I think that the way they present that battle too is so good. Like the fact that they, do, it's just her in space trying to fight off these like projectiles that she doesn't know where they're coming from. You know, she's mm-hmm. completely alone. She feels alone in the battle. And then she like goes back, you know, to the spaceship and finds out that Smith is, you know, do they even use the word dead? They just always use the word gone. Right. Am I incorrect? Is that just a, a function of the subtitles? But like, um, it might be like a military thing where they, if they don't find a body, they market uh, MIA instead of KIA. Right. They mm-hmm. haven't found the oversized mech dog tags. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like, and that was that was kind of where, yeah, I agree, where it shifted for me too, um, in regards to being like, wow, this is like really scary. Like everything she's going through, uh, not just on like the level of violence, but just the level of like loneliness like there's a scene where she goes mm-hmm. into one of the quarters or one of the one room where like smith's um friends are like it looks like they're holding like a little awake for him and uh-huh. they just stare at her like it's like she wants to go in they just stare at her and she just closes the door and leaves and it's yeah. like damn dude you can't even find someone to grieve with that fucking sucks you know what i mean yeah like, just yeah having a coke by yourself yeah i wonder if they blamed her because they were they were partners and he kind of told her like hey you need to help me out and she was too terrified to do anything yeah they gave her a nasty look when she entered that room uh, yeah. that was not a not a like we're grieving that was a hey you did this kind of look to me yeah 100 percent yeah and it felt kind of like you know if if i were in space in a giant robot and there were aliens flying around at me like i i probably couldn't do much i don't know <laughs> all you got to do is start singing the theme song to uh evangelion to yourself and then you'll just <laughs> get that energy um there's something also like the way this sets up the culture of the ship like this episode in particular i think is really good um especially again like if you look at it as the only way she'll uh nariko ever gets um you know, allowed into the in-group is via institutionalization, right? When she, like, sort of gives up any part of her that has human relationships to things like fear um, and just sort of, like, succumbs to, you know, this military apparatus around her. And this was a really good way of being like, this is what happens when you don't do that, right? Like, you're just (laughs) some fuckhead who gets people killed and that no one wants to hang out with and that no one has any respect for and that no one wants to be around, right? You're a liability, for feeling things. Yeah. The themes of isolation in this were just very strong and just like, I don't know. I, I connected with them a lot. You know, it goes from the beginning of the episode where Noriko is, you know, isolated in kind of like a high school. Oh, we're going to pick on you kind of way to like existential, just dread of being alone in space shortly after Smith goes quiet to like, people at a wake blaming you like just just 
whiplash from how much like different themes of isolation are coming together in this episode alone. So like the major theme of the show is like pretty plainly stated quite a few times, I think, uh, which is hard work and guts. That's like the main thing that the characters need to develop in order to, you know, resolve the conflict of the show. And if the first two episodes were the hard work part where, you know, Noriko can't operate a giant robot, so she starts training really hard and she gets better at it. That's the hard work part. And this is the guts part where she's too scared to fight. And as a result, it gets her her new friend killed. And so in the next episode, she needs to start developing the guts to fight back against the space monsters. So in episode four, we find out right at the beginning uh, from, you know, some scientist character that the space monsters use young stars as nests and lay eggs in them. And they're sort of like galactic antibodies that are fighting, you know, people like us, <laughs> intelligent life. And uh, the scientist says humans serve no useful purpose in terms of space and are simply waste floating in the cosmos. And uh, I think that was a pretty interesting um, you know, sort of like monster is like these things that use stars to like lay their eggs. Um, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, the, real... the... Oh. no, you go. Sorry. No, um, you... The... Okay, the bugs being you know accelerationists is an interesting like just overall <laughs> thematic of the series. Um, because you know you it also begs the question like would these bugs have ever existed without humans there? Right? Would they ever have? Uh, awoken or even you know are they even tangible if there isn't uh something to wipe out right like is it mm -hmm. this idea of like galactic antibodies is intriguing uh, it's something that's been picked up a lot like even mass effect right uh as a good example of like a series that picks oh, up that's that right. idea i i also like the the scientists um like tacit understanding of like yeah we are the bacteria but like also you know we're probably gonna win you know just his yeah. um is under yeah understanding that like humans are you know existentially in the wrong here but uh will probably still succeed is um yeah it's it's very it's a very fun thing to examine especially in like the background of being on an enormous military spaceship yeah i'm probably gonna compare it to uh eva a lot but it that like that enemy the aliens the 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 difference between them was just that made it so much darker for me. Like the fact that it was just nature rather than, you know, like, yeah, whatever Ava was, you know, the, the, the fault of humans because they caused the, the first, was it the first impact? I don't remember. It's been too long, but like, rather than, Oh, humans did some stuff and we messed up. This was merely like, Oh, Hey, we're just bad for the universe. So it was like that existential, just horror and the hubris of knowing that too right like the hubris of of knowing you're bad for the universe and still like pushing through anyway like in one way you could say oh it's you know it's like it's a commitment to like the the guts and hard work of humanity that they're willing to push through this but also um no <laughs> you know <laughs> Maybe just change? Yeah, just this idea that, that oh, we, we can overcome this uh, because we are the humans, right? Yeah, we are the parasite, but let's wear it like a badge. 
Um, or just the hubris yeah. of knowing you can thinking you can overcome nature. Period is very interesting, right? Like you see that a lot with like technocratic relationships to climate change. Is like, yeah, the Earth will win, but we can take it on, right? Like we can completely dominate the planet and somehow make it out alive. <laughs> terraform the um, entire thing until it looks like later levels of the early Sonic games. Those, like, grotesque <laughs> city structures. <laughs> and lots of loop-de-loops. <laughs> uh, the loop-de-loops. There's really not enough loop-de-loops in reality, I think. That's, that's where we've really gone wrong. Six Flags the Planet. That's, you know, that's the new, the new, um, the new way to fix, to fix all of the issues. <laughs> so... Amano talks to Coach about Noriko's lack of confidence and skill, leading to certain death either of her or someone else. And she says, you can't put back spilt milk, referring to uh, Smith. And Coach replies in kind of a really fucked up way. He says, when you spill milk, just pour some more. That is all. <laughs> and just Jordan to make it clear, the milk in this case is human lives. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's really just saying hop on another dick is, I think, the, like, implication of what he's talking about, um, which is still pretty fucked up. I I don't think it makes it less fucked up. But, yeah, it's um, good world building, at least. You know, I don't agree with the message, but, uh, you know, they did a really great job communicating it. I mean, it definitely seems like a thing that a military guy would say. <laughs> yeah, they really hammer in the, like, coaches fucked up and bad, like, message kind of a lot. I mean, he's clearly not a good person, I think, throughout the show. Like, it, I think at one point you see him hit a woman. That was a thing, you know? Um, yeah, I he like definitely how hits he, Amano. Yeah, he selectively um, changes what his, like, method of ambulation is. Like, I think he has a cane, then a crutch, then two crutches. <laughs> then, you know, like, it's it just sort of switches based on, you know, circumstance, which I thought was really fun as well. <laughs> Um, okay, so, uh, Young challenges Noriko to a space duel, and she has a breakdown and cries that she doesn't want to go into space, so she's still terrified of fighting in space because of her last mission, and, uh, Young kind of freaks out. She's like, wow, geez, I wasn't trying to, like, make you cry or anything. <laughs> um. You gonna cry? Piss. Which, her name is her name is young freud her she should be trying to make her cry <laughs> or have sex with um, her uh so the rest of the episode the space monsters attack the excelion and they are much stronger than they originally anticipated and we get the resolution of the guts part of the hardworking guts thing when uh, Noriko launches in Gunbuster, uh, when all hope seems lost, and fights the the biggest space monster. It only has 10 minutes of power, which is another great tension-building choice they made, I guess. And so when she only has two minutes left of power, she allows Gunbuster to be impaled by the space monster so that she can get, like, a solid hit on it. Um, she uses, like, this electrical, like, like taser arm thing and makes the space monster explode. Um, it looks at first like she may not have made it, like she died in the explosion, 
but then we get like a musical montage that starts with the theme song and she comes out she's okay and like i think this could have easily been the final episode and it would have been like pretty good you know like they had the the conflict of it takes hard work and guts to fight space monsters and they resolve the conflict and you know they have the nice musical ending um but there's two more fucking episodes <laughs> well i would have been really mad if they didn't stop the space monsters from coming back because they won <laughs> one battle and now it's all over this was the moment where i you know if it had ended here it would have been like arguably just as dark of an ending as where the show ends up going like where she's yeah literally you see her in the thought process of like I must give up all of my feelings and just focus on fighting these monsters. That is what bravery is, right? Yeah. Um, and then she does it and she wins. Like, I... Like, it made me think of a time, like, I was on a picket line, like, negative 40 degree weather up in northern Canada at one point. Um, and I was like, damn, dude, it's cold. And then, like, one of the strike captains is like, oh, just, just, just tell yourself it's not cold. Just feel like it's not cold and you'll be fine. And so I oh, tried okay. that, just like, I'm just going to forget it's cold, I'm just going to fight through this, ignore it's cold, and, and for a while it worked, until I, like, got into the heater van, looked at my fingers, and I had, like, looked like I was getting frostbite, I'm like, actually, no, this is the stupidest thing, uh, <laughs> stupidest piece of advice anyone has ever given me, because I'm cold, and me just convincing myself it's not cold is actually going to, like, hurt me, right? Yeah, we experience pain for a good reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like you feel fear and like anger and like negative emotions for a reason, right? And it's again just like the the way they present like the military industry of the series is I would argue like maybe the darkest part of it after the time dilation, but specifically the fact that she just has to like give up any of that. I mean, it's not necessarily new with with the idea of like being in in military or stuff like that, but the way they articulated it was, I mean, depressing as hell. Yeah, the the consequences of war theme was like really great, especially with uh with Coach, because you know the stuff you find out about later with his uh, illness and uh, you know when when they talk about his story of how he fought in that first battle with the space monsters. God, you're spoiling the thing that we're gonna spoil in like five minutes. What the fuck, dude? Oh, damn. <laughs> no, go ahead. It's fine. <laughs> oh, but wasn't Noriko's dad's ship like the one that like triggered the space monsters coming? Like they hadn't seen space monsters at all before that? Supposedly, yeah. Yeah, so like Coach is just like. I think that's victim blaming personally. <laughs> <laughs> it's his own fault. But if anything, he's like a messed up, horrible person because like. That's jarring. Everybody else who encountered the space monsters, except for the first people on that ship, know, knew that they were space monsters. To them, it was just like, oh, let's go do some space exploring, Star Trek, and then all of a sudden, fucking eldritch horrors come out of nowhere, start shooting shit at you. They do kind of look like, kind of Lovecraftian to me. Yeah, definitely. They, they're like weird flower petal spaceships and stuff like that were absolutely yeah. rad. Like, it reminded me of... Like, the descriptions of the, like, okay, this is embarrassing, but, like, the Yuuzhan Vong from the Star Wars Expanded Universe and stuff like that, just, like, <laughs> the idea of living warfare is, um, while not good, is also, like, super cool when explored in, like, a speculative way. Um, yeah. When it's a cartoon, it's cool. And when it's real, uh, it fucking sucks. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's like how how cop movies are good, but cop cops themselves are very bad. All right, so episode five, you know, they've beaten the space monster. Noriko and Amano return to Earth. They receive an honorary degree from the giant robot pilot academy. For them, it's only been four months, but on Earth, 10 years have passed. And her former classmates are in their mid-20s now. So uh, one of her classmates is a coach at the academy. And Noriko runs into her best friend Kimiko walking around, uh, who now has a two-year-old daughter because she's old. Um, uh, Kimiko and Noriko talk about a new generation of space battleship, which is also a lifeboat for people on Earth. And Kimiko asks Noriko if she can use her connections as the, you know, the great hero of Earth to get her daughter a spot on the ship in case the Earth succumbs to the space monster invasion. So Noriko makes a call in her bedroom, which has uh, Totoro and uh, Nausicaa posters on the wall, which I thought was a nice touch. I also thought this was like the most appropriate use of nudity in the show. Like you could definitely see a girl like Kimiko you know, being in her room without a bra on the phone. I think that's very realistic. <laughs> Definitely more realistic than <laughs> especially that last episode or... The bath scenes, um, yeah. <laughs> the bath scene, which was, again, like, just extremely, uh, like, you know, uncomfortably horny energy emanating from Hideaki Anno <laughs> in, like, everything he does. Even Shin Godzilla for some reason. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, when you look at Godzilla power-up, it's very hot. Um, but like, yeah, there's, that was, you know, the point where it didn't like stand out at all. Yeah. But the next scene, on the other hand, uh, <laughs> Noriko talks to Young on the beach and it, it is exactly the opposite. It's like the most male gazy scene in the series, even though there's like less nudity, I guess. The idea of also using nepotism to get your kids onto a mega lifeboat that will, you know, spare humanity should all things go south i thought was really cool like i don't know if you remember the animated children's uh film that destroyed fox animation titan ae yes i remember um <laughs> i liked it when it came out because it was like by the 12 <laughs> yeah i i actually loved it like creed music video aside it was actually not <laughs> terrible at all but like it, it features a similar plot right of like humans getting on this arc to potentially save the planet and stuff yeah. and like, the idea of, like, can you use your connections to do this is, you know, like, the second Elon Musk builds, you know, the um, Cybertruck to Mars or whatever, it's it's going to be exactly like that, right? Where it's just, like, whatever her, um, you know, political power helped him build this is are the only people, you know, besides him and his rich friends who are getting on that, who are getting on that ship. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Futurama had the only uh, sane system for... You know, in terms of lifeboat ethics, uh, it was just completely random and irrational. <laughs> just stick your finger into a machine and then it's like, uh, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> the Roland Emmerich movie 2012 also had lottery system, I believe. <laughs> um, if anyone saw that movie and remembers it. I was uh, trying to think was... of what movie I remembered a scene like this from. And yeah, it was that for sure. Where, where yeah, it's it's, you know. Oh, there's uh, you know, two billion Chinese people, but only thirty million can get on the ark, so we're having a lottery system, right? But also the rich and powerful get to go as well. Like that was perhaps a weird woke moment in uh in Roland Emmerich's disaster masterpiece. Yeah. Um I'm 
actually stunned I even remember that <laughs> at all. Yeah, I completely <laughs> forgot about that movie until you mentioned it just now. <laughs> wow. Remember when that was our biggest problem was like, oh my god, what if the world ends in 2012? <laughs> oh, the Mayan calendar. <laughs> Man, it... Yeah, I, I I was not like a 2012 truther by any means. I wasn't like a Mayan calendar guy, but... You know what? A part of me, like the the Doomer part of me, is like, man, I I wouldn't have had to like go to work as a adult <laughs> if that had happened. Like I think about 2012, the idea, not the movie, like far more than I should have. Because <laughs> uh, like all of our threats are more existential now, and they're all within our control, which makes them feel like even more hopeless. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Uh, to steer away from that uh, dark tangent. <laughs> Let's go to a different dark thing, which is in the series. The military has found. That a swarm, a new swarm of space monsters is heading to Earth, and it's over 80 astronomical units wide. If you don't know, an astronomical unit is the distance from the Earth to the sun. So very, very large. That's a lot of feet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A couple million miles, I think. 2.96 E to to the 13th. (laughs) 13th power. Is that feet or miles? No, that's in feet. Okay, okay. I was going to say, Miles Jesus. Miles is to the ninth power. <laughs> okay, so Amano and Noriko basically get called back to, I, I guess it's the new the new ship to fight the aliens. So they go to Coach's office. Amano is already talking to Coach when Noriko arrives, and we see her say something inaudible. I think there's like storm noise over it, and uh, this is when Coach slaps her. And then so Amano leaves and Noriko discovers that Coach has space radiation sickness and he may not make it another year. And I guess one thing we should make clear is that Amano has like this weird relationship with Coach uh, that will eventually uh, blossom into marriage. And Which is weird because isn't she like they're, they're in high school. Yeah, right? she's like 17. Well, I mean, still weird and creepy, but I thought yeah. it was much worse because usually, like, people in anime are like thirteen. I think 14. Noriko is fifteen at the start. Right. She really wanted, you know, senpai to notice her. That's, you know, <laughs> every anime is fundamentally about getting senpai to notice you, and uh, <laughs> this is just another example of that. I cannot counter that argument. That's my unifying theory of uh, on Kino Lefter. We have something called the McDonald test. Okay. Which posits that every movie since Silver Linings Playbook is about overcoming toxic masculinity with your found family while um, getting past childhood trauma. <laughs> and that's the grand unifying theory of cinema. I dare you to find me something that doesn't fit that mold, by the way. Um, and, you know, every anime is just that. It's about getting senpai to notice you. It's like a very stripped down version of the McDonald test. I think you're probably right about that. I'm going to dedicate my life to disproving both these theories now. I have a ton of movies to watch. Starting with the Sharknado series, because that's got to that's contradict it somehow. The Sharknado series does not actually have had this conversation. Damn it. Oh, I will find one. It will be some obscure movie only released on YouTube that has a total of like three views, but it's out there. So... Noriko and Amano are in a rocket. They're about to depart on their mission uh, where they are going to basically create a black hole in the center of the swarm in order to, you know, suck them all up and neutralize the threat. So while they're on the launch pad, Noriko tries to talk to Amano about Coach. And Amano says 
She needs to worry about the billions of lives they need to save rather than his one life. Um, but, you know, you, you can see in her face that that's just like a rationalization she's giving herself. And she actually does like really care about it. Um, and as they're about to launch into space uh, on a mission that will take six months on Earth, Amano says that Coach may not make it that long. Um, so Kimiko and her daughter watch uh, the two of them fly off. And by the way, her daughter can talk way too well for a two-year-old. She's like, where are and they going, mommy? And walk way mommy? too well for a two-year-old. <laughs> and uh, Kimiko cries, I'm guessing because she knows that she may not see her again and because of the time differences, which I thought was a nice moment. As they near the target, the swarm, Amano has a breakdown like Kimiko did before. She doesn't want to deal with Coach's death, especially having never confessed her uh, very wrong feelings for him. <laughs> um, Noriko encourages her by reminding her how her other friends' lives are still depending on them, even if Coach isn't going to be around. You know, they still have other people they care about. And uh, that gets her uh, to, you know, get back on the saddle and, uh, you know, do ultra-powerful kicks to space monsters within Gunbuster. So Gunbuster finally fights at full power, and it's awesome and ridiculous. There's lots of different kinds of overpowered lasers that kill massive swarms of enemies. A <laughs> uh, shield that reflects any attacks that looks like a cape. Uh, there's, like, shock probes and, you know, god punches and kicks. It's a really fun fight. So why does Gunbuster need treads? <laughs> I thought that, too. Why? Wait, it has For treads? It was definitely like the one the one thing that stood out in Gunbuster's arsenal was like, why would you put easily breakable mechanical pieces that won't even get used to actually make it like easier to penetrate the armor? <laughs> Gunbuster does not need treads. It was a style choice, you know. Thus was the fashion at the time. Everything had treads. <laughs> if you look under the Exilion, it actually had just tiny little treads under it. With a lot of questions in giant robot anime, the answer is most likely to sell toys. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot. Mechas and fucking Heelys, you know, throughout <laughs> the universe. I've always wanted to see a giant robot with Heelys. They never do that for some reason. The only one that I've seen that would be is cool. uh, this very obscure Xbox game called Phantom Crash. They had something like that. In general, like this, this would be a good point to like maybe mention. The show has a lot of product placement. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, and it feels, like, very natural. It feels like through all of this, the only thing that would persist is, like, the Coca-Cola Corporation. But, I mean, they had a lot of the, like, girls in, like, Converse and, like, Chuck Taylors, and they should have put those on the Meccas. Like, I really think the uh, opportunity to personalize one's own Mecca was, uh, you know, a missed thing in this. When are we going to get a goth Mecca? Be <laughs> yeah, for real. Awesome. You know, your big-titty goth Mecca. <laughs> <laughs> The eye cameras have eyeliner around them. <laughs> oh my god, wings. That would be so funny. Oh my god. <laughs> I want a skater mecha wearing a fucking Thrasher t-shirt. Hey, somebody needs to make one of those like corny high school animes, but with just mechas. Like, with the jock mechas and the nerd mechas. And I would watch the hell out of that. I don't care how... White, white belt mecha with tight pants. <laughs> Instead of uh, instead of a golden antenna thing, it has like you know cool scene hair that's like you know <laughs> black underneath and green on top. <laughs> the raccoon tail. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> lo-fi, lo-fi beats to chill, relax, and study to, but it's a mecha girl studying with like an oversized pencil. <laughs> Stoner mecha. Run around smoking oh, giant awesome. mecha joints that's like green bolts or something really bad. Okay, here's an idea. A mecha that that rips on a jewel, like a giant <laughs> jewel that also becomes a buster sword. <laughs> okay, we, uh, we need to pivot. Give up on podcasting. We're making an anime. <laughs> I've been wanting to do that. <laughs> I mean, I I looked up when I mentioned that that Makoto Shinkai did that um, anime entirely on his computer. Uh, I looked up to make sure I was right. Um, I still have the page open. He did the entire thing, written, directed, and produced on his Power Mac G4 using Adobe Photoshop 5.0, the fourth version of After Effects and Lightwave, which doesn't even exist anymore, and produced like a 33-minute OVA. So, I mean, you could... It's definitely possible. <laughs> I think I'd rather go with claymation. <laughs> it's a lost the art first form. claymation anime ever. <laughs> Ard- Ardman presents Mecha High School. Wallace and Gromit, but anime. That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so they fight off the swarm. The Excelion, which is what they were going to turn into the black hole. I forgot that part. Uh, Excelion gets turned into a black hole near Jupiter to suck in the swarm. And uh, they have a little emotional moment over losing Excelion since it was their home for four months in space slash ten years on Earth. And then the two return to Earth and Coach is still alive. And is this where they have the wedding or is it the next one? They have their wedding in episode five. I kind of blocked that out. (laughs) So this again, they could have ended the series here. Would have been good. But still one more episode. The best one. So how do we we feel about the... (laughs) Them getting married, I, I, that was one of my least favorite parts, but I guess it's one of those things where it's like, they don't have to be good people for you to like think the show is good, you know? I mean, I also don't know the relationship to that sort of thing within like the culture at the time, right? Uh-huh. Like, um, even even just the like way the show sexualizes like girls in high school is like, you know, extremely fucked up. Um, yeah. I know it's not like a, a new anime trope by any stretch of the imagination, even at that point. Or an 80s film trope. That was that was one of the things Actually, I kept yeah. thinking of was like, well, you know, if you look at American movies in the 80s, they have actual teenage girls in there being sexualized. And that's definitely a lot worse. Uh, not that this is like good, but. Yeah, like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, right? Yeah. Like it, it gets a lot more fucked up when you realize like the character you're watching is uh like a high school junior i think yeah and stuff like that so i mean like i don't know if you know marriage to that degree was just considered normal at the time i you know don't know a lot about japan in the 80s right um but you can see it also filled with a lot of things that have changed right like just the idea you know given japan's declining birth rate that someone who's only like 25 would have a two-year-old right would be probably more extremely rare now relative to how it was in the 80s and stuff like that yeah so i mean i don't i don't know if that's just was you know something people wouldn't blink twice at in retrospect it still seems a little you know fucked up to look at Mm -hmm. yeah and part of the reason supposedly that they sexualize the characters so much is because it was not super common for an anime targeted towards well i don't know if this is supposed to be targeted towards uh men and women or just men but uh for something targeted to men uh to have 
and like all female main character cast um they they felt like they had to sexualize them a bit to like keep men's attention um well the the gender dynamics of the military are so weird because like yeah you've got an overwhelmingly female um cast of like frontline fighters but they're all taking their orders from from like men in military positions right yeah um which you know on its face is there's something a little weird about that and it gets I, I felt like I sort of became more cognizant of it as the show went. Actually, no, I didn't become cognizant of it at all. Like, my my partner mentioned that, and I'm like, damn, I didn't notice that. I guess, like, I should cancel myself. But, like, <laughs> um, that was, yeah, that was something that was brought up and, like, mentioned and also feels like you need to stick it in there for the fellas. You know what I mean? Fellas, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Can't put these ladies in charge. <laughs> Can't have an all-female cast if they don't show their huge cans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, it's it's gratuitous at points. I know it's it's just also like a Hideaki Anno thing, but yeah. like... My, like, my favorite aspect of it is the... All of the women, when they're, like, shown getting to their uniforms, they have, like, lingerie on. It's like, re- come on, put them in a fucking sports bra, at least. <laughs> <laughs> This this is a show also about the dangers of not wearing a sports bra because of the last episode when she you know blows up her suit <laughs> to save the world yeah um and that was like another thing where where Megan pointed out to me she's like she has been in space now floating back to Earth for like a couple of months but that whole time while she's like eating I don't know space mecha MREs while trying to get back to Earth at the end of the series like. Her tits would have just been like floating without gravity in space. It's the perfect um, bra for like zero g. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, the that the horniness of the show cannot be overstated. It is uh very weird. Yeah, yeah. I was I was a little worried. Like you know, after we agreed to do this episode, I was like, oh, should I warn him about how horny it is? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe Die Buster would have been a good one to warn. Like in the title sequence alone, you get to see the main character's tits like eight times or something. Every other scene, just like kick with boobs out, punch with boobs out, running down the beach with boobs out. Incredible. And that's not even Hideaki Anno. That's just the next pervert they had in the studio. Yeah. It was a drastic uh, Trying to keep the vibe the same. I wonder what aim for the top's gonna aim for the top three is gonna be. If it's just gonna be like all naked all the time, everything has boobs. They put boobs on the Max. They put boobs on the Excellion. <laughs> they put boobs on the Space Monsters. The men have boobs. Oh yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be <laughs> extremely good and woke. Um, no, but but you see, if you wear clothing, period, it interferes with your ability to psychically interface with the mech. Therefore, you cannot be wearing basically any clothes at all. Also, if you're if you're older than twenty five, your brain uh, has deteriorated past you know ninety seven percent, so you will cease to be able to interface with the mech. Hence, aim for the top three. Episode six. First of all, it's in black and white, which is very cool looking. It takes place 15 years after episode five. Amano is the new coach and is about to depart on some sort of mission. And uh, her students come up and give her a thousand paper cranes. If you don't know the symbolic significance of that, a thousand paper cranes is supposed to be, 
you know, like extremely good luck in Japan. Um, you know, if you're like, uh, if you have a terminal illness, people will give you thousand paper cranes to try and, you know, give you enough luck to survive stuff like that. That's a pretty cool detail. I didn't know that. I didn't know what the significance of the cranes was. Yeah. I know one other series I know that has it is, um, ghost in the shell. Uh, there is a subplot where Motoko, when she's young, um, falls in love with this boy who has a, he's like paralyzed and she is one of the first people to get a prosthetic body and she uses her pros- her new prosthetic hands to try and fold a thousand paper cranes and he sadly dies before she's able to finish. Um, also, that's cheating. If you're using cyber hands to rapidly produce a thousand paper cranes... <laughs> Well, the whole um, thing is it was I the like... technology was so early that it was like a handicap. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was like, if she was using it to, to like hyperfold, you it's know. It's not like the keyboard uh, that... typing scene in the movie. <laughs> All right. So anyway, Amano arrives on the new ship that they're on. Noriko and Young are on there. They haven't aged very much. Uh, for them, it's only been six months. Um, relative to Amano's 15 years, which uh, the the moment where they address that is like, I think, pretty emotionally devastating. W- what did you guys think of that moment they had? Uh, it was like the the grand finale of the like, well, not really, but it was yeah the the best example of like the time dilation like difference in the series. Like it was drastic and like very jarring i like how it how it tries to present some sort of positive outcome that like we we end up taking time dilation sort of for granted so that like your relationships don't actually decay and stuff like that like they seem as close as they were 15 years prior i don't know if um i buy it in terms of just like human beings uh, in general and the way we form relationships but i thought the spin they they tried to give it was at the very least like mildly heartwarming, even if it's uh feels you know antithetical to what it means to like be a social person. Uh huh. I got very Highlander vibes from it that like you know the immortal person who lives past all their friends and family, yeah. Um, just terrifying. <laughs> uh, I, I think one of the like the aspect that I liked about it was. Amano brings a message from Kimiko's daughter, who is like about to graduate high school now. Um, I thought that was a nice touch. Another interesting thing about this scene is uh, Noriko has a poster for The War in Space, which is like a 1977 tokusatsu film. So she's like into uh, 20th century Japanese films and anime and stuff. I like that part of her character. Yeah, she's she's an old school anime head. She's also kind of an elitist when you talk to her about it. <laughs> Once they started doing CGI, you know, anime really went downhill. <laughs> um, another appropriate opening, uh, like song for this series would have been like uh, an anime remix of of Cats in the Cradle. <laughs> <laughs> another little uh, nugget that I noticed is there's a psychic dolphin on the ship. Yes. Um, I didn't, I didn't yeah. see if he had a garage or not. And if you watch it for anything, go to episode six, go like a quarter of the way through it and just find that space dolphin, pause it, 
and just leave it. Leave that screen on for however long the whole series is. <laughs> Best way to watch the show. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the uh, the like weird hentai game for DOS computers that Hideaki Anno made um, based on Gunbuster should have been exclusively hentai psychic dolphins. <laughs> Wait, kind of burying the lead there. Uh, he did what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I did some like a deep dive on Gunbuster last night and found out that Hideaki Anno made a Gunbuster trivia game for MS DOS that was also a hentai game. Like you answer questions and the characters um like get progressively more naked in 16 bit. Oh, it was 16 bit. I was kind of hoping it was in like ASCII or something awful. But the best the best part of it is that the one screenshot that was um that was on like the the article I was reading. It was young Freud, um, you know, posed very seductively, but then there was, like, glitch art of Lennon behind her, <laughs> um, which was absolutely incredible. <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, yeah, I'll see if I can if I can find it and, like, email it to you <laughs> if you want to put it in the show notes, because it's, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so they are using another black hole bomb um, to fight a even bigger swarm of space monsters. Their big space battle is to protect the black hole bomb that they've created, which has uh, Jupiter at the center of it, which is a pretty crazy aspect. Uh, so they have this big space battle with the space monsters. And this whole scene is done like a manga. They just show different cuts of still shots. It's very cool looking. Uh, they have some like animated effects, but they're just like special effects um, for the the still shots. And then at the end of the battle, they show like statistics of like how many space monsters were killed, how many ships were destroyed, uh, how many of them were damaged, and so on. Um, it was a cool scene. The music was really great for that uh, scene. I think probably would have been nice to have like a full-on animated gratuitous space battle but i think you know if they ran out of budget i think they handled it very well and made it cool anyway also if it wasn't you know the 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 ability because something that grand might have been borderline impossible to like animate in the same style so they like kind of had that grandiose feeling with the minimalism yeah you kind of your brain fills in the gaps and especially showing the numbers was such a cool touch. Like, you know, again, I'm not like a uh, the most knowledgeable on anime at all. Like, I rarely watched mecha anime um, aside from like Eva and a couple others before this. But you know, with the series in general, like the mechs and the battles are almost like they're cool to watch and very fun, but they're so incidental to like the rest of the series or. Um, in a lot of ways, they're, like, the least interesting part. Yeah. Um, you know, despite the fact that they're extremely well done, well put together, and, like, again, awesome to watch. But, like, when it when it really starts going into these, like, moments where you see the scale of the time dilation or where it shows you the scale of the deaths, it doesn't feel like it was because of a budget cut. Like, it feels very somber, right? Yeah, it reminds me of... This is kind of a random reference, but... Uh, the second poem to Mary by, uh, God, what's his fucking name? The war poem guy. 
the guy who wrote Flanders Fields, that's the only war poet. Uh, Ernest Hemingway. Um, oh. There's a part in that poem where he is like, he's talking about how like bureaucratic the war is, and he's like reciting deaths in like the terminology that they use um, in the military. And uh, this kind of reminds me of that. It like kind of feels like all these people were real people that really died, but we're just seeing it from the like very um, disconnected, like cold logical uh, end of it where, you know, they're just numbers on a sheet. Well, yeah, if, if playing, if being really bad at call of duty two on veterans mode has taught me anything, it's (laughs) that the death of one is a tragedy and the death of millions is a statistic. Yeah. (laughs) Um, As that is the uh, text every time you die. (laughs) Um, all right, so, uh, you know, they fight the big space battle to protect the black hole bomb, and then they're, they're relieved, they're like, you know, finally, uh, this thing is about to, you know, go off, uh, we'll be finished with the space monsters, this, this will be the last time. Um, the captain of the ship keeps talking about God, and when the black hole bomb fails to trigger, he asks if there is no God, or if we've been abandoned by God. And right as he's saying that, Noriko launches in Buster Machine number one, which is half of Gunbuster, to go detonate it herself. And then Amano joins her quickly, and they turn into Gunbuster. Um, so I, I kind of wonder if that's... I, I think that's supposed to be, like, thematically, like, you know, God isn't coming to save you, you need to save yourself kind of thing. Um, well, they literally bring up the fact that these insects are, you know, antibodies for the universe. So if there was a god, he wouldn't be on your side. Yeah. <laughs> right? Good like, point. that's that's such a, like, telling moment where it's like, you know, we are we are obviously sentient. We are obviously self-aware. Therefore, god is, is with us, which is, like, like, antithetical to the everything that was presented prior to that moment in terms of the relationship between, like, bugs and humans. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I want to see a, a different OVA of this where it's from the perspective of the universe. And it's just freaking out. <laughs> We're like mining all the planets. It's like, they keep setting off radioactive bombs and building mecha. <laughs> we got to be. It's like <laughs> a really sad moment. It ends in like a very fucking tragic way where the universe loses. Yeah, God's ant farm gets destroyed. God gets destroyed by the ant farm. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to kill God with mechas and black hole bombs. I, I would love to see like an actual, like I know there's been a couple of, you know, speculative or fantasy series that involve humans going to like literally fight God. You know, I know Eva touches on that a little bit, but it would be really interesting to see like, you know, a, a, heaven is real and we're going to exploit the shit out of it um uh like fantasy series at some point or even like it would be great for an anime i would love to see anime god there is uh that one series that has anime death which is sort of close soul eater soul eater yeah um i'm still mad about that series (laughs) the fucking ending all right so Young follows them into the black hole bomb as they're descending into it um, in her, like, normal non-gunbuster robot, which is not as good. Uh, Young thinks they're on a suicide mission. 
Uh, but they say, like, no, we're not on a suicide mission. We're coming back. Don't worry. And Young points out it could take centuries or millennia to get back to Earth. And uh, that, that'll become relevant in a, in a minute. Gunbuster triggering the bomb is done very symbolically, I think. So they, they arrive on the surface of Jupiter, I guess is what it's supposed to be. And Gunbuster rips out its heart and offers it to the bomb, basically. Because it's using its you know power reactor to to cause the detonation, and in doing this, uh, Noriko like tears her shirt open, which I kind of think is symbolic, but uh, maybe is not, and I can't really defend my opinion that it horny. is. I think it's like a medieval thing where like bearing your chest was like a a sign of like ultimate like you're gonna win no matter what. Like go ahead, shoot me with an arrow. Like I'm just gonna kill you all. <laughs> I, I just thought it was supposed to be, like, one last, you know, horny cry before the heat death of the universe. <laughs> Look at my titties before I die. <laughs> yeah, God God let them win because he saw them titties. Yeah, I, I wondered if it was, like, something to do with, like, motherhood, like, you know, uh, feeding the robot with her breast or something like that. I don't know. Um Probably it's an wrong. act of solidarity to, you know, if, if Gunbuster's going to get his heart ripped out, then <laughs> the least she could do is just show some titties. <laughs> hey, really quick, you, you mentioned the power generators. I kind of chuckled the first time because the, they're named the, the, the degeneracy machines. Yeah, that was, I don't know why that was so <laughs> funny to me. It is hilarious. Like that, I, I took like I think nine notes total um, about this series and at least four of those notes were about degeneracy machines <laughs> that's um, why there's so much just like, yeah just like um, you know degenerates <laughs> destroying like this is the most like tradcath anime <laughs> I've ever seen <laughs> um, you know Jung Freud the Soviet for some reason has a fucking cross around her neck um, oh I didn't notice that yeah, that was really weird. Uh, yeah, the degeneracy generator, which like it's just anime in general. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that was hilarious. Also, the the fact that the uh, guy in charge, the admiral, mentions at one point in that episode that they're point zero 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 one percent behind schedule. <laughs> um got a little like chuckle out of me as well just like imagine being able to calculate out your effectiveness to that degree yeah <laughs> all right so they they detonate the bomb um it turns into a black hole and uh you know gunbuster is basically just a torso and they are making their way back to earth and they finally arrive and it has been 12,000 years um so by the time they get to earth uh it doesn't look like it does now where there's lights lighting up the dark parts of the earth all the time. Um, so they worry that maybe humanity has perished and, you know, all is for naught. But then a bunch of lights come on saying welcome back uh, for them. Although the last character is backwards, which I totally knew and didn't have to look up uh, because I can read Japanese. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's basically the end. Um. I went and, like, checked the Wikipedia article on the show after I finished watching it, and mm -hmm. I think they mentioned that the implication of that last character being backwards was that 
it was like a a new civilization pantomiming the old one. Yeah. Um, which uh, yeah, like they er, language has evolved, but they they kept this going as much as they could because they knew they would be coming back. Um, which is like both really cool but really scary. Like it's like the ending of AI where the kid wakes up and like robots have replaced humanity completely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's like what what do you even do with those people now? Like do you put them in some sort of simulation where they can live out the rest of their lives? Do you uh, put them in some sort of weird zoo? Like everything you ever knew or loved is gone forever because you did this thing, and it's like. Where do you go from here? Nowhere. You're going to live out the rest of your lives alone with each other amongst a race of people who, you know, you probably have zero linguistic or emotional or, like, any sort of tangible or emotional connection with. Yeah, for sure. Um, there was another series that I watched uh, called Giant Gorg, which is also an 80s mecha anime. And one of the plot points for that was uh, there was a race of aliens that came to Earth uh, 30,000 years ago. And uh, one of them is, you know, he's the last one remaining. And he's like, I mean, what the fuck do I do? Do I join civilization? Or, uh, like, I have no connection to anyone. Um, everyone that I ever knew is dead now. Um, and, yeah, it's a really hard question to think about (laughs) yeah i mean like i guess in a lot of ways uh if you like suffer from crippling isolation loneliness and depression you feel like that all the time um but like i also wonder what it would be like to feel that but also know it actualized yeah um like the the implications of that final episode are are one of the like scariest endings to something i've ever seen um I would also just say that, like, in a lot of ways, this felt a lot more complete than Eva to me. Yes. Um, in terms of just, like, having a theme, carrying it over, having something akin to, like, a definitive ending. Whereas, like, between Eva and End of Eva and now the movies, I feel like that is something where Hideaki Anno keeps, like, tooling with it because he's never going to be quite happy with it. Uh, without knowing him at all, right? Uh, or reading up on it. But, like, whereas the fact that this hasn't gotten a remake, um, correct me if I'm wrong, like, it feels like it was intentional and, like, meant to be as long as it was and meant to have this, like, very powerful conclusion. Yeah, I think you're right about that. So, I guess, what are our feelings overall of the series? I loved it. I loved it hands down. Like the 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 scene right before the welcome back came on. Like I I, I don't usually go oh no in real life, but I <laughs> I yelled it. I was freaking out, thinking that everybody on the planet was dead. So that that really got me by surprise. But I you know Ava was probably tied for number one in my top animes, and uh-huh. this is probably like ups. Usurp, uh, whatever. <laughs> Beat it. Usurped? <laughs> um, Can't think of the word. Usurped. Yeah. Usurped. yeah. yeah. It's taken the throne. Um, and you said you have a hard time normally paying attention to subtitled anime, but you watch this pretty much all the way through. First try. Gunbuster didn't pick up my phone at all. Diebuster, I had to rewind it a few times because I kept, you know, <laughs> going on Twitter. But, like, yeah, I, I cannot 
watch subtitles most of the time. I'm still going to go back and rewatch this because I, I missed a lot of the visual stuff because I was busy reading. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like that, that was amazing to me because I, you know, I tried to watch uh, Eva subtitled before it was out dubbed. And uh, wait, no, not before it was out dubbed. Before it was out on Netflix dubbed, I think. But uh, like, could could not do it. Any anime that I get the ball rolling on, and I'm like, I love this, I love this. Oh, the dubbed episodes ended. Better switch the sub. <laughs> I get like half an episode in, and I'm like, I missed all of that. So that, <laughs> this was amazing. I feel that, like, as a passive viewer with a lot of anime, like, I definitely feel that. But like, I'm I'm pretty much in the same boat you are with it, where it's just like, you know, I uh, didn't quite know what to expect going into this. Like, I'm don't watch you know a ton of mech anime but like fuck man this this hits you know what i mean like yeah. there were points where i i sort of had to pause and think like man like i really feel what this character is going through right now and it's <laughs> the way it sort of magnifies the feeling by using space by using time dilation by using this like you know societal this like military industrial complex she's just a cog in right um it it evoked uh, like an emotional reaction me like very few animes ever have. Um, historically, I've only ever cried at a single episode of one anime, and that was the episode where um, spoilers: Wolfwood dies in Trigun. Um, oh, okay, just bragging about yeah, not that's... crying. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I don't I don't ever cry in anime because as as I've mentioned before, it's uh, it's a degenerate art form. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, anime is actually incredible. <laughs> We get um, it. You're yeah. emotionally stable. Yeah. <laughs> like, very, very, like, deep. Very, like, a lot of stuff to think about. Very sad. And, like, the completeness of it is, like, definitely in its favor. Yeah. Uh, for me, like, over something like Eva, where it's just, okay, I've I've seen all six episodes of this, and I feel like I've gotten a complete story. I don't feel unsatisfied. And, like, any lingering questions I have about the ending are just the hallmarks of a good ending rather than the hallmarks of something where you're, like why the fuck did I sit through six hours to not have those questions answered, right? <laughs> yeah, it was... I, I still can't believe that was only six episodes. Like, that... It felt longer. Yeah, that shook me yeah. more than most, like, hundreds of episode animes have. Like... Yeah, the second time I watched it through, I remembered the basic plot points, and when I got to episode four, I was like, wait, what the fuck? This is already happening in episode four? <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> You feel like, you know, you just got done with, like, one piece at the end of it with, like, yeah. the character. Like, yeah, this is 800 episodes, right? <laughs> it doesn't feel rushed, though, at all. No. Like, it's it's still, like, very patient for how quickly it moves, which is awesome, you know? I I really do want to watch Die Buster now that I'm done this, but I'm afraid it won't be as good, and that frustrates me. <laughs> I like Die like, Buster go- a lot. Like I'm, I'm notorious for liking bad animes that people are like, you like Darling in the Franks? That was the worst. I was like, oh, I thought it was good, but I really like Die Buster. Like I, I was googling, you know, when Aim for the Top Three is gonna come out, 2022. Oh, for real? Nice. Yeah, 2022. Awesome. That's oh, what okay. they're talking that about. Also... They have a their one uh, anime that the one of the directors is working on now, something from the blue or something like that. That's coming out next year. And then they're hoping for 2022 for Aim for the Top 3. Is that going to be Ano or is that someone else? 
I they had a different director for Die Buster, so it, it'll probably be someone else. And that, yeah, that's the other hard part. Like I think with anime is like I feel because I know the even just the culture of producing anime and remake culture and stuff is very different than like you know my um, primitive Western brain uh, will you know allow me to respect and stuff like that. <laughs> but it's hard when you see someone like Anno who has like such a keen and specific uh, creative vision and like skill for world building. And it's hard to see someone else take that over. Like, I know it's inevitable, but at the same time, that's another reason I'm, like, hesitant to hit Die Buster is, like, will it explore these things as fully? Will it will it have that, like, flair I appreciate from this or Eva, right? It's different. It's very yeah, different. Yeah, it's definitely very different. But I, uh, the, the twists and the turns were just, oh, I was on the edge of my seat for a lot of that. Intriguing. But I might have to check it out. Disclaimer, I am, like, notorious for being like, I like this anime, and then the room <laughs> turns against me. So, <laughs> like... I, I, I do think Die Buster is good. It's, I definitely think it's not as good as Gunbuster. And if you're looking for something that is exactly as good, you, you will definitely be disappointed. But as a sequel, uh, it exceeds my expectations for a sequel that is not directed by the original guy. Yeah. Okay, too. I will I will check it out inevitably, I'm sure. 99% um, of the time sequels are awful and this wasn't, so I guess that makes it a great sequel. <laughs> all right, anyway, so just to wrap everything up, uh for me, Gunbuster is in my top 10 all-time anime now, uh which is pretty high honor cuz I've seen a fuckload of anime. Um I'm really surprised that no one recommended it to me because in every respect, I would call it a 9 or 10 out of 10 show. The animation, story, characters, music, music, themes, and enjoyment are all perfect. Uh, the only negative for me is the weird uh, nudity stuff, but that's probably a plus for a lot of people. And yeah, to quote uh, Una, it's a great show, 10 out of 10, watch it or die. Um, nice. So... Okay, Abdul, do you have anything you would like to plug? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, so I host a podcast with two other wonderful people called Kino Lefter. You can find it at Kino Lefter on Twitter. Um, we're a podcast that reviews whatever movie is coming out into theaters that week from like a explicitly... I mean, there's a range of like left political opinions, but like let's just call it like a broadly socialist perspective. You know, movies obviously impact uh, and reflect on the culture and inform it. Um, so yeah, Kino Lefter, we've had some great guests on in the past. Uh, you should definitely come on at some point. Um, yeah, that'd you know, be Brian awesome. from Street Fight, Do Not Eat uh, Zero One, who we love and adore. Um, a couple others who I'm forgetting about because I'm an asshole. Um, <laughs> Uh, and you can also not follow me on Twitter because I'm currently um, <laughs> jacked on Twitter, uh, thanks to Pete Buttigieg's, uh, you know, fans. But like, um, you can follow. I'm a professional photographer. You can follow my work on Instagram and uh, at Abdul Y Malik. And you can also uh, read my essays and writing, uh, AbdulYMalik.com. I will be updating it uh, with some stuff I wrote on the closure of Tech for Briarpatch Magazine uh, sometime this week when I have a free minute. Um, but yeah, follow at Kino Lefter on Twitter. It's a really fun show, and we have a great time doing it. And if you're in Edmonton, come to our live show in two weeks. Yeah, I really recommend your uh, 1917 episode 
Uh, I saw that because uh, my girlfriend likes to see the Oscar movies when the Oscars are coming up. And I had planned to avoid it because I thought it was going to be basically exactly what it was. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) it was nice to hear uh, someone else who had... Uh, similar feelings to me about the movie, but uh, is much better able to explain them. <laughs> I think. Oh, you thank did a you so much. No, that. I really, we really appreciate it. Um, like, yeah, that we've gotten a lot of good feedback on that episode, and yeah, it's it's always nice to hear that people are actually like listening to us. You know, say stupid shit into the void. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, no, thank you so much. I also have to give a shout out to Beep Beep Lettuce, which is the podcast that introduced me to um neighbor science in general uh oh really is the reason we're doing our own yeah like they posted a meme that was a bunch of like left podcasts oh nice yours was on it (laughs) i'm like a big murray bookchin guy um so i i was like oh i must listen to this it's called neighbor science and it's uh it's awesome and that was also the meme that like on facebook made us connect and be like hey we should do a podcast like on our end so yeah, I mean, uh, Beep Beep is the is the quiet like kingmaker of leftist podcasts out in the world, um, and I, I'm also going to plug them that people should listen to them because they rule. That kicks ass. Uh, Cheech, do you have anything to plug? How do I follow that? Uh, 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 let me just <laughs> invent. Uh, no, uh, follow me on Twitter at Hermes Magi. Um, we, me and uh, my co-host of pastrami hour the defunct podcast that we haven't posted on in like two years uh we've been talking about maybe bringing that back in some kind of way and or different way so yeah follow me on twitter and maybe i'll do something eventually yeah you should you should pick it back up and have me on and we can all eat pastrami sandwiches yes (laughs) hell yeah king we're gonna change the name in a very clever way (laughs) Be excited. Now I have to do this. Great. <laughs> Damn it. You tricked me. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't really have anything to plug. Uh, the live stream was uh, last Saturday, so everyone missed it. Uh, except for Cheech, actually. Yee! I was there the whole time. I was so stoked. That was the one time I've been able to watch a live stream. I always miss um, When is this episode going out? Uh, I'm going to try and get it done before the end of the weekend. Okay, um in in that case, uh can I also make a quick plug? Yeah. Um if you like live streams, the Kino Discord uh does every two weeks a um live stream uh where everyone watches along a movie. The last two have been Uncut Gems and Parasite. This episode will already have been out uh will be out after um Color Out of Space, but if you like, uh, yeah, watching movies with your friends, um, definitely check that out if you get the chance. The Kino Discord, it's in our, all of our show notes. And it's like a every two-week thing. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I want to check that out. I'm bad at watching movies. <laughs> I still haven't seen <laughs> Parasite. I really want to. Especially after this. It's now. good. I've, I've, now I can do subtitles, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great movie. Um Okay, so check out the other Mecha Madness episodes. We had one with Alexander Edward from Minion Death Cult about uh, the Big O, which is a great uh, Art Deco-style giant robot anime about uh, Batman, but with Mecha. Um, We have uh, the Evangelion episode, which uh, took me two tries to make and uh, took uh, six 
uh, watch throughs of the series to do all the research and uh, analysis for. And the Gundam episode, which, uh, you know, is uh, talks about basically the king of mecha anime. Um, all those turned out really well, I think. And we will be continuing with Mecha Madness uh, probably until the end of the month. Um, and yeah, we'll hopefully be doing a Die Buster episode uh, with uh, Cheech and Abdul. So look forward to that. Um, and we will be, be, we will be back next week uh, with our regular episodes. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you so much for having me, man. Yeah. Thanks for coming Bye. on. God, I'm being so rude. <laughs> <laughs> thank you right. for having me too. I, I thank both of you uh, for being on here and I'm going to stop the recording now. <laughs>